At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. One of the pastors here at the church, and this morning it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Church family, to understand Christianity, you need to understand its basic truths. To understand Christianity, you need to understand its basic truth, the basic truth that God is holy. Amen? God is holy. God is set apart. Uh, God hates sin and God will punish sinners. This is the basic tenets of Christianity. We, We must understand then that we are sinners and if God punishes sinners, we are in need of salvation. That this is the basic truths of Christianity. And so in order to understand Christianity, you must understand the truth that Jesus is fully God, that Jesus is fully man, that he put on human flesh to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died in our place for our sins, and that by his blessing, we might place our faith on his completed and finished work on the cross. We might be filled with the Holy Spirit. We might be empowered then to do good works, that we might be brought into his family. That is The gospel. Now, with that said, if you do not understand those basic truths, you do not understand Christianity. But Market Church family, write this down. Mental assent to the truth of the gospel is not the only thing we must do in order to be a Christian. Mental assent, meaning what I just said to you was the gospel. And you can say, yes, I agree with that. But just agreeing with the gospel does not make you a Christian. We must also surrender our whole life. So I can put the truth of the gospel at your feet and say, do you agree with this? And I I would venture to say that many people, especially here in in the Christianized cultural South, would say, oh, sure, I, I believe in Jesus. But the question is not just do you mentally assent to the truths of the gospel, but have you surrendered your whole entire life to the cause of Christ? That is what Jesus is calling us to do. Listen to Luke 9, 23 through 24. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Is your life marked by this type of self-denial for the cause of Christ? This is what Jesus is calling us to do. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Do you understand what this verse means, church family? Take up your cross. Do you, do you, I, I think we're so desensitized to what the cross really is that, that we don't feel the impact of this verse. We don't feel the impact of what Jesus is, is asking of us. The, the cross is, is, is essentially a, a, a device of torture. That What he's asking us to do is to get rid of ourselves. This is what Jesus is asking of us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will gain it. What Jesus is asking of us, what Jesus is asking of you is total surrender. You must lose all of yourself to the cause of Christ. Do do you remember that conversation that Jesus has with the rich young ruler? who comes and asks Jesus the way of salvation. And Jesus tells this rich young ruler that he must sell everything. 
and give it all to the poor. Do you remember what happens then? The the rich young ruler goes away sad, and the text tells us the reason that he goes away sad is because he was very wealthy. Now, is that, that, that particular text there, is that text then instructing all of us to sell all of our possessions? Well, no. Jesus's point there is he was targeting the very thing that the rich young ruler did not want to surrender. That's why he said that. This was the thing that that he wanted to hold on to. This rich young ruler was ready to give Jesus everything except this over here. And I would venture to say there might be many of us in the room who are more than willing to give Jesus our money. Sure, we'll sell everything as long as I get to hang on to this thing over here. But Jesus is asking for total surrender. Jesus wants your whole life. Jesus wants total surrender. So we use our money to bless others and to expand his kingdom through the local church. Even our marriages don't exist to meet our own needs, but we serve our spouse and we glorify God with our sex and sexuality. All of it is to be totally surrendered to God. Our plans, even when God derails our plans, that is to be surrendered to God. What we say and what we don't say, what we do and what we don't do, what we watch and what we don't watch, where we go and where we don't go, all that we have and all that we are is to be surrendered to him. Now, as a disclaimer, church family, surrender in no way earns your salvation, but surrender shows that you are truly saved. Now, if this type of language, this type of talking that I'm doing here, talking about total surrender, if that, if that makes you a little nervous, I'm, I'm speaking to the control freaks in the room. Anybody? If that makes you a little nervous or if it freaks you out a little bit, let me, let me tell you, let me just put those fears aside because there is safety in surrender. There is safety in the surrender when it is surrendering to God. If, if you're taking notes, handing over our messed up, impossibly complicated lives is the best thing that we can do because nothing is impossible for him. So, <laughs> handing over our messed up, impossibly complicated life. Anybody in here have an impossibly complicated life? When you hand that over to him, it's the best thing. You, there is safety in that surrender because nothing is impossible for him. We're handing over our life to Jesus. This, this Jesus who heals the sick, who makes the blind see, who calms the storm, who walks on water, who turns water into wine, who feeds the 5,000, who brings people back from the dead. He, oh, 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 don't forget that this Jesus also defeated Satan, sin, and death. That is the one that we are handing over our lives to. He is the one that we're surrendering to and there is safety in that surrender because nothing is impossible for him well church family that's about the sermon i'm about done but uh here's what we have to do we have to get to the text and and i have to prove to you that this type of surrender and this type of god who nothing is impossible for him is there in the text and what we're going to see in our text today is a teenage girl and what she says is incredible it's, it's at the very end. We're not going to get there to the very end, but, but it's so incredible what she has to say. She says, let it be unto me according to your word. She says, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. That is total surrender. Mary holds nothing back. She says, whatever you want from me, Lord, I'll do. Total surrender. A- and she is so safe in that surrender. There's no danger in that surrender for her. Why? Because the angel tells her, there's nothing impossible for God. He tells her, hey, your relative, Elizabeth, you know, the one that was barren, oh, she's pregnant. You want to know why? Because nothing's impossible for God. And so she responds, let it be unto me according to your word. Surrender 
to the God who does the impossible. If you're taking notes, here it is, main idea, big idea. Here's the whole, the whole sermon in one sentence. Surrender your whole life to Jesus because he is the God who does the impossible. So let me ask you, church family, what are you, what are you holding on to today? What are you holding back from God's surrender today? Surrender your need for approval, somebody. Surrender your bitterness towards another brother in Christ. Surrender the envy and jealousy that is lurking in your heart. And say with Mary today, let it be unto me according to your word. You might even right now be thinking in your head, I I'm holding on, I can't, I can't give this thing to God. It's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Oh, that today would be a day of surrender at Gospel Community Church. Now, let me give you our outline. We have four points in our outline today. Here it goes. First thing, small town, big announcement. Small town, big announcement. Second, five declarations about Jesus. So we're going to see a small town, big announcement, and then the angel tells us five things, five declarations about Jesus. Third, confusion and explanation. Mary says, how is this going to happen? I'm, I'm a virgin. And the angel explains it to her. Fourthly, we'll see total surrender. Mary says, let it be according to me, according to your word. Small town, big announcement. Second, five declarations about Jesus. Third, confusion and explanation. Fourthly, total surrender. Y'all with me this morning? So let me remind us of where we are in the text. Last week, uh, we saw after Luke's, the beginning four verses of his uh, brilliantly written introduction, he begins on what is known as the infancy narratives. And these two narratives run side by side as he speaks to us and teaches us about the birth of John, that is John the baptizer, and Jesus. And he runs these two narratives side by side. So uh, last week we saw the announcement of the forerunner, that is John, not Toyota forerunner, that is John the baptizer, that forerunner. And he would call people to repentance and prepare the hearts of the arrival of the Messiah. And now this week, it's not a barren woman, but we're going to see a virgin. And it's not the one who would point the way, but it is the one who is the way. That's what we're going to see this week. First, small town, big announcement. Let's look at verse 26. Small town, big announcement. In the sixth month, we'll stop right there. This is not the sixth month of the year. This is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Here we have Gabriel, the same angel that was at the announcement of John. And here's what's happening. He is told to go to Nazareth. Now, that's significant for us because we're believers in Christ and we know what goes on in Nazareth. But Nazareth is a little nothing, nowhere town. It's, it's totally insignificant. As a matter of fact, Luke has to tell us that it's in the region of Galilee because it was so unknown. He has to give it context. This is where this town is. It, it, he's like, it's Nazareth. People are like, where? It's in Galilee. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we know the region of, of Galilee, but we do not know. Oh, remember in, in John when uh, they, the, the disciples find the Messiah, and they go, we, we found him. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And they respond, can anything good come from Nazareth? This is a town uh, of four to 500 people, maybe. 
Archaeologists have discovered it. It's there. Um, the, the, like they lived in stone and earthen-covered homes. These are very modest people. This is not a big city in, in the lights. And so uh, what we find is, while it is a real historical place, it is never mentioned in the Old Testament, nor is it ever written about in the writings of the historian Josephus. It is a small, little, nothing, nowhere town. So while there are many similarities between these two birth narratives, the, the birth narrative of John and the birth narrative of Jesus, there are also things that contrast. And so we just went from the temple in Jerusalem right? The, the holy temple in the middle of the holy of holies and the holy place. There we were, and the angel Gabriel was there in the holy of holies in Jerusalem in the temple, and now Gabriel is in Nazareth speaking to a young teenage girl. Verse 27 says this, so in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. Now, what does this word then mean in the Greek, this word virgin? Well, it means the same thing it means in English. It means she had never been with a man. That's what the word means. Now, church family, what I want to do, uh, if you will allow me to, is, is camp here on this, this word, this, this thing that the angel says, because she, he is sent to a virgin. The, the great Albert Moeller uh, theologian says this about the virgin birth must one believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian? It's a great question. Here's how he answers it. It is conceivable that someone might come to Christ and trust Christ as Savior without yet learning the Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. A new believer is not yet aware of the full structure of Christian, of Christian truth. The real question, can a Christian, once aware of the Bible's teaching, reject the virgin birth? Here's how he answers. The answer must be no. First, I want, I want us to see this. I, I, I want to camp here just for a moment. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus was born of a virgin to fulfill Scripture. Number one, Jesus was born of a virgin to fulfill Scripture. Genesis 3.15, I'm going way back, y'all. Genesis 3.15, here's what it says. Jesus then speaking to the serpent after sin had entered into the world, uh, he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The, the, what is happening here, this is called the Proto-Evangelion or the first gospel uh, which is spoken into creation. What is so interesting, this word here, offspring, look at it. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. If you have an ESV Bible, you're going to see a little footnote there. And if you carry that footnote down, you're going to see the word that says seed. The word for offspring there is Seed, and, and what I want us to see is that we know that biologically, the woman does not have the seed. The man has the seed. But here it says that this woman will have a seed. And so what is happening here? The man, does not, uh, the man has the seed. The woman does not have the seed. The whole point is Mary is going to receive that seed from the Holy Spirit. That's why it says that the seed of, of the woman, or how about Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so the question then is, how can eternal God be born by natural man? Answer, he can't. 
It has to be supernatural. There must be an immaculate conception and a virgin birth. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus was born of a virgin because he is the God-man. That's who he is. He's not the man-man. He is the God-man. And so God is Jesus's true father. Now, it's not that he didn't exist beforehand. Stay with me. God is Jesus's true father. He, so, so what we need, church family, is we need a mediator because we cannot get to God. We do not have the right to speak to God. And so we need someone who can represent us. And so we need someone who is man. But we also need someone who is God, who is fully God. And that is the God man, Jesus Christ, who takes one hand and places it on the shoulder of God the Father and takes his other hand and places it on our shoulder. And he mediates between us. And he says to the Father, I have shed my blood for them. They are now holy, righteous, and justified. And the Father says, yes and amen. We need Jesus to be the God man, the mediator between us. And that can only happen because he is virgin born. How about number three? Jesus was born of a virgin to maintain his sinlessness. If you are here this morning, you are born in the line and lineage of Adam. That, 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 that sinful nature has come all the way through all of humanity. And if you were here this morning, you are a sinner by nature and by choice. And so Jesus was not born of a sinner. Jesus was immaculate conception, virgin born. And so he does not inherit the sin that we inherit from our first father, Adam. Amen. Are y'all with me? I know I'm, I'm doing deep theology today. I didn't come to play. I came to preach. Here we go. So hear me today, church family, if Jesus does not fulfill prophecy, if Jesus does not come to earth as a God-man, if Jesus does not maintain his sinlessness, there is no gospel at all. So this is why it is so important for us as Christians to stand on this truth and to not let it, oh, you know, the virgin birth thing, you take it or leave it. No, no, church family. If we compromise the virgin birth, we compromise the gospel. Amen. Okay, I said I was going to camp there. Let's move on. Now, here's what's happening in the text. The angel has come to this virgin, and it says then in verse 27, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This betrothal then is a legally binding engagement. This isn't something that, uh, you know, like our modern concept of engagement is you say you're going to get married, and if you change your mind, you change your mind. No big deal. This betrothal, then, is a legally binding agreement that they have come into. Again, I've already said this, but um, we're dealing with a teenage girl. They were betrothed anywhere from age of early as 13 uh, and as late as 16. So she's somewhere in there. She could be as young as 13 or as old as 16. And it says, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of who? David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so this is not Joseph's biological son. Jesus is not Joseph's biological son. So he does not have Joseph's DNA, but he is legally Joseph's son, which means Jesus has the right to claim the throne, and he has the right to say he is of the house of David. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is a very famous scripture where, where it says here, greetings, O favored one. Another translation, it, it might say, hail Mary, full of grace. Have you heard that before? 
that's where this comes from. That is the, the Ave Maria, which the Roman Catholics get that, that famous prayer that begins Hail Mary, full of grace. But I want us to be very clear this morning, church family, this is so important for us to understand about this Mary. Write this down. Mary is not a repository of grace, but a recipient of grace. Mary is not a repository of grace, as if Mary has the uh, ability to dispense grace to us. Oh no, she is here a recipient of grace. Is she unique? Absolutely. Is she, is she to be revered and, and honored? Yes and amen. She is, she is the one that God chose to bear his son. She is special, but by no means should we ever pray to her. I, as a matter of fact, I think if you, when you get to heaven, you ask her, I think she would be shocked and appalled that people would pray to her and ask her to do things she would say no no no. I bore the Messiah the one that you should pray to and ask for things pray to him not to me is what Mary would say so it's so important for us to see who she is this she is very special she is very unique but she is certainly uh, not a repository of grace she is a recipient of grace here and we need to understand that verse 29 says this but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, I was shocked at this this week because every other time in the scriptures that we see someone encounter an angel, they are terrified at the angel. But here, Mary, it says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, at the saying, not at the giant being full of powerful light sent from God to speak to her. And she says, I'm troubled at what you're saying. This reveals something to us about the heart of Mary. Because she's saying, who God I? I? I'm a teenage girl from a nowhere town. Who are you, God, to speak to me or to send someone to speak to me? This is what is happening in her heart. Now we get small town, big announcement. Here it is. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for in your womb favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and he shall be called Jesus. In a, in a nowhere town to an unknown teenage girl, God chose to step in and act. He brought the savior of the world to her. Church family, imagine what he can do with your life when you are totally surrendered to him. This is a little educated. This is, this is a young teen. No means she doesn't know anybody. She's not well connected. She's not well educated. This is, this is a young teenage girl, who, but yet she is totally surrendered to God with her life. And God takes that life and brings in the savior of the world imagine what he can do with your life many of you are well educated many of you have means many of you know people what would happen church family if all of us just said here we are lord we are totally surrendered to you whatever you want to do with our lives we give it all to you what would happen what would happen church family just imagine can you imagine it what god would do if every single person in this room just said yes let it be unto me according to your word Oh, that we would have that kind of a heart. Now, second, five declarations about Jesus. This angel just unpacks it for us. He, he lays out five declarations about who Jesus is, this, this baby, this savior. That's what Jesus' name means. It means the Lord is salvation. That's what Jesus means. And so he's going to tell us these, these five things. First, look at verse 32. He will be great. Don't you think Jesus is great? But not like we use the word great. You know, like, man, that lunch was great. This is a totally different kind of great. 
That this is, this is greatness that is only attributed to God. We saw that in the birth announcement of John. John said, uh, the angel said that John would be great, didn't he? But there was a modifier on it. The modifier was John will be great, what? According to the Lord. That was the modifier. There is no modifier here on this greatness. Again, that type of greatness with no modifier is only applied to God. And so before we even get out of the, the first thing that is told to us by the angel about Jesus, we are pointing now to the deity of Christ. He will be great, the next thing that we see, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High, meaning he is the one true Son of God. He is set apart. There is no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. How about the third thing we see? And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. That is King David. That is the good king after God's own heart. But unlike King David, this new king, he will be sinless and perfect. How about the fourth thing that we learn? And he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. Forever. That's right. That is, he will reign over the people of God, that is the true Israel, not just the, the ethnic Jewish people, but all those of, of all ethnicities who would call on the name of Christ, and surely we learn, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. You know what that means, church family? That means when we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. His kingdom will last forever. This, this is an amazing announcement from this angel. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. All of these things are told to Mary, which means the song that we sing at Christmas time, Mary, did you know we can put an end to the mystery? Answer, yes. She knows, Mary, did you know that you're, yes, the angel told her. It's right there, five declarations about, about who God is. She, she knows. But there's something that she doesn't know. She doesn't know how this is going to happen. She knows who this is. This is the son of God. This is the one whose kingdom would last forever. She knows that, but she has no idea. She, she's struggling to put together the how. So thirdly in our outline, we see confusion an explanation. Here it is, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, why does Mary ask this question? Have you ever thought about that? Who's heard this text preached before, maybe on Christmas, something like that? Have you ever thought about why is she asking this question? Mary knows about the birds and the bees. She knows she's about to get married. So why doesn't she think that the angel intends that this would be a natural conception? Why does she ask the question? Hmm, puzzling. Well, I think for a couple of reasons. First, because the announcement of the angel, she believes that conception is going to be immediate. The presence of the angel, the power of his voice, these declarations about Christ, I think she gets in her mind, oh, oh, oh this, this is like now, this is going down, like right now, oh, okay, like it, Secondly, she knows that God would never ask her to violate his law, so she knows that she is not to be with Joseph before they're married. So how's this thing going to happen is what essentially she is asking. Now, if you remember, Zechariah asked a similar question. He questioned 
the angel. But Zachariah's question held behind it a, a sense of disbelief. Her question is not, can this actually happen? Her question is, how is this going to happen? Essentially, what she's saying is, God, I believe you are powerful enough to do whatever you want to do. Just let me know how this is going to happen, is essentially what she's saying. Now, here's the explanation. This is so rich. Here we go. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What does that mean? <laughs> Therefore, the child will be born, and he will be called Holy the son of God. Okay, let's, let's, can, can we stay here a minute? Yeah. One person wants me to stay here a minute. Thank you, George. Now, I'm going to anyway. I got the mic. Here we go. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Okay, so, so we got the Holy Spirit. We know who that is, third member of the Trinity, okay? And the power of the Most High will over, what is the power of the Most High? Well, that is another name for the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, that is the Holy Spirit, will overshadow you. What does, what does that mean? What this angel is doing then is he is reaching back into the Old Testament and taking a concept from the Old Testament and bringing it into the New Testament. Meaning, meaning this, back in Genesis 1, it was the Spirit of God. He was hovering over the waters like a cloud ready to bring chaos into God's orderly creation. That, that's what that spirit or that cloud, as it overshadowed the water, that overshadowing cloud was preparing to take this world of chaos and bring it into God's order. Then that hovering, overshadowing cloud then shows up again in Exodus chapter 40 when Moses completes the tabernacle. Y'all with me? When Moses completes the tabernacle, what happens then? He, he completes the tabernacle according to the way that God had told him to do it. And then this overshadowing cloud comes and then sits on top of the tabernacle as a representation of the very power and presence of God. And then as they go through the desert, that cloud, that overshadowing cloud would lead them in the direction that God wanted them to go. Again, this overshadowing cloud is a picture of the very power and presence of God. That's the overshadowing cloud. Now, if you're taking notes, the divine cloud then in Luke 1.35 is not bringing the presence of God to the tabernacle, but this overshadowing cloud is bringing the very presence and power of God into Mary's womb in the person of Jesus Christ. Incredible, incredible what we see here happening in this text, meaning this, when this overshadowing happens for Mary and the power and presence of into order put into her womb, what that means is that when Jesus is born, he will put into order what Satan and sin have made into chaos, and he will be the very power and presence of God. Now, the angel here is going to tell her, Next, that Elizabeth, which is her relative, is, is also with child, which I'm sure at this point Mary is very excited about. Beth will believe. She's thinking in the back of her mind, who's going to believe me? Well, guess what? Elizabeth will believe her because this thing had happened to her as well. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who was called the infant. Look at verse 37. For Nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. 
Amen. Church family, for four, at this point, for 400 years, there had been absolute silence. For 400 years, there had been no prophets. For 400 years, there had been no angels, no word from God. The people of God had been ruled by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, and now they are ruled by the Romans. There is seemingly no way out. They have no options for salvation, yet the question comes to God, God, how you've promised that you're going to save us. How are you going to save us? How are you going to deliver this, God? How are you going to complete this task? Are you going to use a powerful king? Are you going to use a large army? Are you going to use a natural disaster, fire from heaven? What are you going to do, God? How are you going to save us? And God replies, nope, I'm going to use a barren woman and a young teenage virgin girl. That's how I'll redeem my people. That's how I'll save This God that we serve is absolutely incredible. This ought to give us hope today. This means God can use your broken marriage. He can use what happened to you in your past. God can use your failures. He can use your messed up family. God can take the sorrow that you carry in your heart and use it for his good. He can use our mistakes, our brokenness, and our pain in his plan of redemption to bless others and to bring his kingdom into this world. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, fourthly, in our outline, we'll see total surrender. Total surrender. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Unlike Zechariah and some of those in the Old Testament and even those during Jesus' ministry, Mary demands no sign. She doesn't say, prove it, prove it to me. She just says very plainly, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. Church family, that is, that is total surrender. Meditate with me just for a moment on what it cost her to say this. Do you know what it cost her to say this? Her betrothal is on the line. Is Joseph going to believe her? Well, we know how the story goes, but she doesn't. What about her reputation? The murmurings of people? Church family, what about the Jewish law that says if she is unfaithful during this time of betrothal, that she is to be taken to the doorstep of her father's home and stoned to death? This is what's on the line for her. And so what we must realize and what we must understand, this total surrender to Christ will cost you. Total surrender to Christ will cost you. But what you get in return, what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? What we gain, church family, is an eternal kingdom. What we gain is a good, loving father. What we gain is big brother Jesus. What we gain is the filling of the Holy Spirit. What we gain is good works predestined for us to do that we might be a blessing to other people. This is what happens when we totally surrender to Christ. What what happens is we become a part of an unstoppable movement, which is Christianity, which is God's global kingdom expansion. That's what we gain. That's what we come a part of. But it will cost you. It will, it will cost you. If you're taking notes, how does Mary surrender to such an impossible task? She knows nothing is impossible with God. Some of you mothers in the room this morning on this great Mother's Day, maybe you're feeling the same way, looking at your child and saying, this is an impossible task. <laughs> 
Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. So as we end our time together, I want us to reflect on the heart of Mary, this heart of trust, this heart of allegiance to God, this heart of total surrender. Let me ask us a few questions this morning. First question is this. What person do you need to surrender to the Lord? What person do you need to surrender to the Lord? Are you, are you hanging on? Are you clinging? Are you, who do you just need to surrender? And in your heart of prayer, take that person to the Lord and say, Lord, he's yours. She's yours. I leave this at your feet, Lord. I, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm, tr- I'm done with trying to figure out what to do with this person. I leave this person at your feet. I surrender, Lord. How about this? What situation do you need to surrender to the Lord? God, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm tired of trying to do this in my own strength. I'm tired of trying to think my way through this. Are you exhausted this morning of trying to think your way through this complex situation? Surrender it to the Lord. Surrender it to the Lord. How about this? What aspect of your life do you need to surrender to the Lord? Your marriage, your finances, your, your work, work-life balance. What, what aspect of your life do you just need to surrender to the Lord? Turn it over to him. Again, what I'm talking about here is a prayerful attitude in your heart. Some of us need to surrender in this way, by obeying what the Bible says. Right? You, you are walking in a way to where you're not obeying what the Bible says, and your act of surrender today is to obey the Bible, because the Bible's clear on that. I also know that there are other people in the room that are facing very complex situations and the Bible is not going to give you a verse. And so then what you need to do is to seek the Lord to speak directly to you. Yes, he does that. To seek the Lord to speak directly to you so that you know what to do. So this type of surrendering is not just doing nothing. This type of surrendering is going to the Lord and saying, this situation, this aspect, this person, this thing that's going on in my life, God, I surrender it to you. Here I am, Lord. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. Let it be unto me according to your word. That's what Mary said. How about this? What obsession or addiction do you need to surrender to the Lord? (laughs) Lastly, what part of your calendar and comfort do you need to surrender to the Lord? What part of your calendar and your comfort do you need to surrender to the Lord? This is a call to us today, church family. This is not just a Christmas text that we can read happily and reflect back on Christmases gone by. This is the living, breathing word of God speaking to us today, calling us to surrender, calling us to let go. I've been praying for you this week. I want you to know that. I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would usher in a spirit of surrender, that we would look to this Mary, this Mary who is a great example for us. Is she not a great example? Of course, she's not to be prayed to or, or put on some type of pedestal where she doesn't belong, but she is a great example for us. As she is told, this big, heavy thing is going to happen in her life, and, and, and she says, I am your servant. It, unto me, according to your word, she, she totally surrenders. What an example for us to look to, this, this Mary. And so I want us to turn our eyes and our hearts to this young teenage girl 
who surrendered everything, surrendered totally to the Lord. This is incredible. But church family, what is more incredible is that she paves the way for an even greater surrender. Who am I speaking of? Well, I'm speaking of our great King Jesus, who there in that garden as he prayed and literally sweat blood and asked the Father, is there any other way? Can this cup pass from me? But he does the ultimate surrender. This is our King Jesus. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. Sounds a lot like Mary. But his surrender on the cross ushers in a way for us to also surrender. Let's pray together. Oh God, that hearts, even now as I begin to pray, would turn things over to you. That your spirit would bring up things in our minds and in our hearts that we know for sure we are hanging on to in an improper, unspiritual, ungodly, and unholy way. Oh God, would you gently peel back our fingers and help us to release those things to you? Give us hearts that are surrendering this morning, God. Hearts that surrender difficult situations. Hearts that surrender difficult family situations. Oh God, teach us this way of surrender is not scary or dangerous. But there is safety in our surrender this morning, oh God, because nothing, nothing is impossible with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.